Hello, I'm Mike Prowse, and this episode I'm in Stratford-upon-Avon, birthplace of William Shakespeare, the Swan of Avon, who turned his gaze upon the intricacies of the human condition and came up with the plot of The Lion King. Ben Jonson said Shakespeare was not of an age, but for all time. Come with me as I go one better with a podcast that was delivered on time and doesn't go on for ages. Mike Browse, the holiday man who does things on his own. Bring the Bard Alive is a new organisation making Shakespeare accessible for younger visitors to Stratford, and I've been invited to attend its launch event. I'll be joining a panel discussion after the keynote speech by Tom Duncan, Youth Policy Advisor at Stratford-upon-Avon District Council. I'm in the email chain, and I can see his speech is entitled Is This a Blogger I See Before Me? Downloading Shakespeare into the TikTok Generation. Firstly, Tom, that would be an upload. Secondly, blogger, it's not 2004. And finally, Pace is important. If you really want to engage key teenage stakeholders across a number of platforms, a PowerPoint runtime of two and a half hours not including interval is madness. While I'm in town, I'll be taking in a play, of course, as I watch Macbeth for the first time. I can hear what you're saying now. Crikey, I never had old Prowsey down as a philistine. But for GCSE, I did A Midsummer Night's Dream. For A-level, I did All's Well That Ends Well, and Antony and Cleopatra. It was then that I realised that purely by chance, I was making my way through Shakespeare's plays in alphabetical order. There and then, I resolved to see the rest of the canon in the same way, and I've been ticking off productions ever since. I saw Love's Labour's Lost in the back room of an Edinburgh bookies last August. I've got Macbeth today, and I'm scheduled to end my alphabetical journey with Twelfth Night at some point in 2028. I studiously avoid learning the plots of the plays before I see them to maintain an element of surprise. All I know is that I'm seeing Macbeth this afternoon and that it's set in Scotland, so I'm pretty sure it'll be like Brigadoon or train spotting. When I heard that being on the panel discussion came with a night's accommodation, I was overjoyed. Then I discovered it was here, in the Stratford-upon-Avon Little Chef. It's themed restaurant offering, let's have a look. Julius Caesar salad, homelet and jam roly-poly with Titus Androni custard. The room score 0.5 out of 5 on TripAdvisor, with one review describing the bathroom with the words... Imagine some sick has been sick, then ate the sick, and been sick. Although Tom Duncan is at the very forefront of Shakespeare youth engagement, he's also notoriously nervous. He once kept Prince Charles waiting for 40 minutes when the sight of his own reflection in his polished shoes made him too scared to leave his office. That's why he's taken the unusual step of hiring his own PR man, Jerry Duff. Jerry made a packet in Central African Diamonds, made the switch to Antarctic oil and intensive Amazon strip mining, and he's now retired to run an ethical PR startup, NiceFlower.com. In Jerry's words, he wants to give something back 
that isn't money. He's emailed me to say Tom's speech will bring Shakespeare alive for a new generation of young people. Now that's a challenge. I was chatting to my nephews about Shakespeare the other day and it occurred to me, Mike, they're teenagers. This is completely irrelevant to them. So I scored some cool uncle points by switching the conversation to the time I stood behind Damon Albarn at a pulp gig. There can be many barriers stopping young people from enjoying Shakespeare's plays, especially the comedies. It's part of the great skill of modern-day actors that they can bring out the subtleties of the bard's writing for a contemporary audience by leering and grabbing their genitals every time there's a joke about genitals. Walking through the tourist-filled high street, I'm struck by the number of living statues there are. Standing on boxes, breaking their stillness only to gaze quizzically at a passerby or remove some change from their bucket. Actually, I'm reminded of an embarrassing incident in Covent Garden. What I thought was a living statue turned out to be Miles Davis. I'd just stuck 20p right up... Hang on a minute. Those three living statues, they're... They're beckoning me. You want me? Looks like they're pointing at me. It was eerie. They were painted gold, like they all are. The three stared straight at me and said, All hail, like Proust, with thy upgraded hotel booking. All hail, Mike Prowse, conference keynote speaker. All hail, Mike Prowse, thou shalt find steady and lucrative employment. Upgraded hotel booking. And what do they mean about me being conference keynote speaker? I'm only on the panel discussion. Oh, hang on. It's from Bring the Bard Alive. Due to an outbreak of salmonella traced to a rotten homlet at the Little Chef, we are switching your hotel to the Malmaison overlooking the river. Enjoy your stay. I've reached the banks of the iconic River Avon. Drinking in the atmosphere, one finds some of the bard's iconic lines ringing in one's ears. Get thee to a nunnery and stay there this time. The unforgettable look from Cymbeline and Hamlet's immortal. You may think that I couldn't possibly comment. There's a good few people taking in the view. Teenagers, pensioners and... Is that... It is, it's Tom Duncan. Must be trying to focus before his keynote speech. Oh, hang on. No, he's staring at his shoes again. Look at that pure terror, he's completely gone. Come on, is he the best they can get? Tom! Tom! Look, come on. Pull yourself together. That's, don't look that, that's you! Tom, that's your bloody shiny shoes. It's you. Come here, Tom. Get a grip, Tom. It's your reflection. Stand up. It's your face. Oh, God. Tom? I've 
tried to straighten things out with Tom's assistant, Jerry Duff. In his corporate days, Jerry was used to breaking bad news. Usually, your well's been contaminated and you're going to go blind because of the contaminated well. But I've just had an email from NiceFlower.com. Hi, Mike. Due to circumstances related to his falling in the river, Tom won't be able to do this afternoon's keynote address. Would you like to take his place? Best Jerry! <laughs> well, Tom's fine. The need for him to swim actually drew his gaze away from his shoes. It's weird though. First the prediction of the upgrade came true, now the keynote speech. So I'm setting to work, and there's a lot to learn. One field of Shakespearean study which has grown in recent years is that of textual analysis. Using a specially designed algorithm, a team of researchers at Warwick University were able to provide conclusive proof that Christopher Marlowe could not have written Shakespeare's plays. A three-year analysis of a first folio of the plays shows that the name William Shakespeare appears on the very front of the book, and the name Christopher Marlowe not once. The computer used in Warwick University's research hit the headlines itself in 2015 when it put its knowledge to good use, playing Hamlet at the Gielgud. The theatrically inclined hardware also picked up an Olivier Award the following year for its performance as Othello against Microsoft Excel's Desdemona. Another controversy is about whether Shakespeare, a man who once had to be rescued from a chimney into which he'd dropped a bun, could possibly have written the plays. How could the son of a glovemaker have atomised so acutely the human condition without a single title to his name? Some academics suggest that the true author was the Earl of Oxford. In a bid for the truth, Cambridge University ran a three-year, 10,000 terabit textual analysis of the plays and contemporary documents, concluding that Shakespeare could definitely have had the Earl of Oxford in a fight. I'm outside the Royal Shakespeare Theatre, five minutes before the start of Macbeth. After decades of avoiding spoilers, there's a problem. I can't actually go and see the play. When I planned today's schedule, I was on the panel. But now I'm doing the keynote speech. That's a clash. I think I'll be fine, though. I may have only finished my speech 15 minutes ago, but I think it offers an exceptional, all-encompassing insight into the motivations behind all of Shakespeare's work. Up to, but not including, the ones starting with the letter M. I'm off to do my speech. Wish me luck. I've now left Bring the Bard Alive HQ. The keynote didn't go as I'd planned. I'd started well. I was on the bit about Shakespeare being the Facebook of his day when Tom Duncan's ethical PR man, Jerry Duff, strode onto the stage and informed me he was born by caesarean section. So, over one quarter of all UK births are caesarean and there's no indication that babies delivered by that method experienced long-term adverse outcomes. I told him that I was delivered vaginally and that it takes all sorts to make a world. It was then that I noticed that the board were looking at me, confused. The chief executive explained 
that the day's events had been a setup to see how in tune with Shakespeare I was, and how my inner William would react to a psychogeographic immersion into the thoughtscape of Macbeth. It was all there, wasn't it? A spooky promise of power, me taking over someone called Duncan, and Jerry Duff somehow suggesting that if your mum had a caesarean, you're not of woman born, which is apparently the plot of Macbeth. I mean, come off it. Greatest playwright who ever lived and not actually born. It doesn't even make sense. I'd had no idea what they were talking about and it was at this point they told me that they'd been looking for someone to produce a high-profile 50-part podcast on Shakespeare and they'd had me in mind. But the revelation that I don't know what happens in Macbeth had caused them to reset and widen out the opportunity to someone who wasn't me. As I caught Tom Duncan's eye, I stared at my own shoes, seeing for a moment what I thought was William Shakespeare, laughing and pointing at his genitals. It's now three days since I was ejected from the premises of Bring the Bard Alive. During that time, I've thought a lot about what happened and how my desire to experience Shakespeare's plays in a meaninglessly exact order deprived me not only of one of the jewels of the theatrical canon, but also at least six months of secure income. I've not only failed to become king, I've now got to go back home and write 4,000 words of ad copy for a Reiki centre specialising in anxious pets. Well, I've now seen Macbeth thanks to ITV's 1978 production on YouTube, and I've come to two conclusions. One, Bruce Forsyth is a fantastic actor, and two, ambition is a curse. If Macbeth had had any sense, he'd have stayed Thane of Glam's. I bet the money was okay, and he had a castle. It now just remains for me to, as Shakespeare did, encompass humanity, to put this experience behind me and move on. Just after I've had a few words with those living statues who, let's face it, were in on this right from the start. Oi! Hey! Yeah, you! You three! Yeah, very good, lads. Hope you're pleased with yourselves. And you, Mr Walking Into The Wind. Worth it, was it, eh? There's your artistic principles in the bloody bucket with your loose change. And I can see you moving. I said, I can see that you're moving. Yeah, three years in drama school, was it? Excellent. Excellent.